This is The A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The A, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. We have a fantastic guest. We have Aureen Almario. She is the artistic director of Bindlestiff Studios, and we've been talking about Bindlestiff pretty much if almost you're, every if, week. Yeah. I know if you're a fan of uh, the A, you know we bombard you with you know talks about Bindlestiff. So this is the exe- the uh, the artistic director, Aureen. Aureen, how are you? Hi, everybody. I'm doing fine. I'm I finally made it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been asking you for a while, but uh, you've yeah. been busy. Uh, good busy, and uh, also you just celebrated your birthday, so uh, a post birthday to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was uh, telling uh, I, um, this is a surprise to you, Norman. But I have a sort of minuet of links of um, of clips of people who have been on the show who have talked about what Bendelstiff means to them. Oh, coolness! Uh, yeah. So after we do our current event stuff, um, before we get into the origin story, I'll play the clips. And I'm going to see if Aureen can recognize the, the names, the people. That'll be fun. <laughs> that will be fun. Um, <laughs> as I begin uh, every podcast, Norman, how was your week? Norty. If you've been following Facebook this morning, you know what I've been doing. I've spent the last two hours, I got hacked. Mm-hmm. And now, Aureen, you can, join, thing- you can join in any time, Aureen. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this poor thing went out on... Through Messenger to all these people. Oh, and, that's right. You've been, connected. You've been uh, Maddie, the Maddie May thing, the Jeannie Baroga new play. Hmm, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, porn. Porn. Pornography. Oh, you've been hacked. No, been hacked. I didn't do anything. Got it. <laughs> no, I've been spending my week. My week has mostly been about Maddie May, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. I mean, mm-hmm. that's when we finish today, we'll be doing a rehearsal for reading that's coming up on the 22nd of this new play by Jeannie Baroga. Um, so that's been most of my week, but today <laughs> I woke up to this. My wife woke up and was like, what was this you sent me? And I looked and I was like, I didn't send you that. And sure enough, it just went through my messenger. So I went through to every individual who it got sent to and said, I am so sorry. Oh, poor I was you. able to track the source of it and mm-hmm. block them, report them you know, try to just clean up all of it. I went through security and I changed my password and I reviewed all the posts that have happened in the last few days. And I cut down, there was some link. I didn't even know what city. Yeah. Um, somebody else supposedly posting on, or logged in on my, my, yeah. my account. So. I think it's, I think it's the new normal. I mean, I, you know, every time I see a strange uh, post by somebody ask me to click on something, I'm usually like, this is probably, Right. And I usually write back saying, hey, did you really send this to me? You know, do, what's my first name? What's my, what's my, you know, what's my favorite food or something like that? So I think it's just the new normal. It is what it what is. What I'll do is I'll go ahead and look it up, not, not click on it. I'll look it up and see. And, you know, mostly Snopes will have a thing saying, oh, watch out for this. Yeah. Aureen, I'm sure you've been hacked or you've had some, have you had computer issues lately? Luckily, I haven't, but um, I did see somebody try to do something like that, like a clickbait on, on Benelstiff's social media and then another arts organization that we know in, um, they do more like events and things like that, not so much theater, but they got hacked and they, they were being harassed. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Oh. So we, every, they, they sent out a... A uh, warning to everybody to change all their passwords and do two, two, what is it? The two, two 
authorization. Oh, oh yeah, the uh, two authorization, like they'll yeah. either send you a, a text message or they'll email you. Yeah. Oh. Two-party uh, authentication. I think that's what. Oh. It's mm -hmm. Yeah. That's probably not a bad thing. Yeah, it's it is what it is. So uh, I know we have a short, we really can't go above, you know, beyond an hour, an hour and a half. So there are some current events that I thought were interesting. Of course, the COVID numbers are up and uh, the uh, deaths are up in, in certain states. I, what's interesting is what are states going to do about schools? Um, right. I, know, I know, Irene, you don't have any kids, but, you know, Andrea has kids and, mm -hmm. you know, you're an auntie. But I wonder what parents are going to do, the decision to be made, do you send your kids to school? Um, huh. yeah, you guys have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I actually am a teacher, oh. my, my regular job, and mm -hmm. I've taught preschool for 20 years, and my mom owned a preschool. Um, so, I mean, I just remember when I, when I was teaching in preschool, I was sick all the time, and so children would just, they're like, you know, sharing germs, and then as a teacher, you're sharing their germs, and parents would constantly have no other option but to bring kids to school, even though they're sick. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I know, I know these are like desperate times for, for, for parents, but it's just the likelihood that it's going to spread in a school setting is very, very high. Yeah. Right. Norman, here's a question for you. Dexter, I mean, he's about to go to college. I mean, uh, have there been any, have you guys been getting any notices from the university as to oh, what yeah. happened? No, that he's already signed up for some classes. I think there's still another, that just happened this last week, um, signed up for some classes. And it looks like he may have one or two classes on campus mm. and then the rest of it will be remote. Yeah. And I think college is fine. I mean, I worry about, um, I mean, have you lost any uh, income, Aureen? I mean, I know, uh, you know, COVID-19 probably hit the latter half of the school year, but have you been out of, um, have, have you lost any income from your day job? Um, I think somewhat. Like what, what happened was, what I, what I do now, because my mom's preschool closed, but I, I actually am one of those people that do a lot of teaching gigs. So I teach everywhere. I teach like the youngest is kindergarten. I also teach at uh, San Francisco State University. And then I teach at a, I do community workshops for as old as like seniors. Oh, wow. And so all of those programs with especially like vulnerable people and youth and younger kids, the, all of those had to stop and the seniors early on pretty much. And so um, the funding for those, because they, they were like arts grants, had mm -hmm. to shift. We had to do other things in order to meet yeah. our, our, um, our deliverables. Are you doing a lot of Zoom teaching, Aureen? Yeah, I, my, my college class, I had to transition to Zoom, and I had to mm -hmm. learn how to use it. It was like the first time I've ever used it. Yeah. Luckily, I had a teacher's assistant, and she helped out a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, another thing that hit in the news, um, uh, we think that the Jeffrey Epstein uh, thing was over when he died, but they recently caught, uh, I think her name is Jislaine Maxwell. Uh, hey, you working on the names there, Reg? I'm sure. I'm sure I'm going to get a uh, a notice saying no. That's not how you pronounce it. But in any case, that sounded pretty good to me. Yeah, Jislaine Maxwell. You know, this is probably prejudicial to me, but I think she. I mean, if I if I could count, if I had a nickel for every man who committed a crime because they couldn't control their libido, you know, I'd be richer than Jeff Bezos. I mean, 
and I work in the DA's office, so they are full of cases dealing with that. But a woman who participates and who, you know, who brings in these women, these girls, right? Um, that's 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 a level of I don't know cruelty, evil that I just can't even fathom. So that was one thing that sort of fascinated me. Um, well, the weird uh, thing about or the to me, the weirdest thing about it was more than reporting that there were all these things about make sure she doesn't commit suicide in jail. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they're watching her right now. You yeah. Know, that's, no, it's, it's weird. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, Aureen. I can move on to something else. Yeah, I think that, um, it, I mean, even with, with um, Weinstein, like there's, yeah. there's people that are complicit and are enabling the, the crime to happen over and over again. And, and I think for the Epstein, the woman that was involved, I forgot her name, but uh, there's, this, there's this whole thing where, where women actually are the groomers, like they groom yeah, that's potential right. victims and they scout them. And, you know, there's so many other right. instances where that has been. Yeah, it's, it's really icky. And I was reading a little bit about it. Apparently, she's the daughter of Robert Maxwell, who is a sort of a British... A media mogul. He's sort of the the comp, comp, competitor of a Roger Ailes, and he died mysteriously oh. in 1991. And uh, to make a long story short, it sounds like Ghislaine has sort of a um, a daddy fixation. It's, it's almost like uh, Jeffrey Epstein was the pseudo father uh, for her, which means you know not only was she indoctrinating young girls to come into uh, Jeffrey Epstein, but she may have been indoctrinating herself. I'm not making any excuses, but Right, sort of the psychology behind her, but you know, um, I'm glad that they caught her, and uh, she should, you know, serve them because what? excuse me, bless you. Um, a lot of these girls would never, ever, ever have been in contact with uh, Jeffrey uh, Epstein or have been uh, cajoled into doing a lot of the stuff if it weren't a woman saying, "Oh, it's going to be okay." Yeah, um, that's it's really, really horrible. Yeah, it happened. Yeah, yeah. And the, ver the very last thing. So um, I spent the 4th of July watching Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> sure a lot of other folks did as well. Right. And apparently there's a controversy about Hamilton. I guess the canceled cancel culture has affected that. And that, that sort of delves into theater. Um, have you heard about this, Norman? No, I'm not sure. So there are people who are like, why are we celebrating Hamilton? And why are we watching this thing, which was created by Lin-Manuel Miranda? It's really a brilliant. I had never seen right. Hamilton before. And, it, you know, they do an amazing job telling this incredible story in their own way, uh, a multicultural story about the founding fathers. Of course, there's some controversy about, well, Hamilton was a slave owner. Jefferson was right. a slave owner. Washington was a slave owner. Why yeah. won't Hamilton talk about that? And are is there some whitewashing going on um yeah but you know it's it's just bizarre to me uh, when you talk about a piece of fiction it's historical fiction but it's fiction and then they want to sort of nitpick at it I'm like yeah you know 1776 are we gonna go back and tear that one apart you know it's, yeah it's, it's, i i think it's, i think it's, I think it's a little ridiculous as well. And it's very clear that it's not meant to be, you know, um, what do they call it, literal. Um, I remember when I was just coming out of college and JFK, the movie by Oliver Stone had come out. And uh, I was working at Forbes magazine. It was one of the first jobs that I had coming out of school. 
And I remember some of the very ultra conservative guys who were the executives at Forbes are like, oh my God, this is so horrible what Oliver Stone is doing. Now these kids are gonna get their history from this film writer. And it's art. I mean, this is just art. This is just an interpretation right. of art. Aureen, what do you have thoughts about Hamilton? Have you seen Hamilton before? Yeah, so I have a story about Hamilton. I'm uh. actually, uh, <laughs> so it came out in 2015, right? Um, yes. And then I just happened to, uh, around that time, go to New York, uh, or I was in Connecticut with my, my boyfriend's family, and uh, we went to New York to try to get tickets. By then, it wasn't, it wasn't hitting like the high uh, ticket, you know, amount yet. It was just mm -hmm. like starting to peak. And so we could definitely like not afford to go, but they had a lottery, like not a lottery, but like a cancellation line, like in case somebody canceled. Oh, right. Yeah. You can get in the line and try to get the, try to get their seats. And so we stood in the cancellation line, I feel like for about two hours for a matinee and just our luck we like got tickets for really cheap like a hundred bucks and we're like oh yay we got, we're, we're coming we're getting in there and um prior to watching prior to going i i kind of read about it i saw some of the clips and i, I was already kind of skeptical i was kind of weirded out by the colonial outfits and the wrapping at the same time it seemed a little off um yeah. but i listened to the 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 soundtrack and I, I loved the music. And then my, I had a friend that really, you know, told me that I should really try to go. And so when we were going into the theater, we're thinking we're going to go all the way up to the nosebleed section. They're like, no, you're, you're here. You're in this way. And then turns out we're going to sit in the orchestra. Wow. Yeah. There were like eight, you know, like the eighth row. And I just remember sitting down and I was surrounded by old white people. Mm. It's like me and my boyfriend and then all these old white people around me. And uh, I just felt like a, a very, um, a cultural like connection that I had to the song and the music and the people, the bodies that were performing, that mm -hmm. it was so visceral. Like I felt so proud to be sitting there and then looking around me and they had no idea what the references were or the musical references. And, uh, right. and they were, some of them were like sleeping, you know, like that they didn't get it. And there was something wow. that I got like, cause I grew up with this music, you know? And so I just remember like wanting to dance and wanting to get up, but like they were just sitting there, you know, they didn't, they didn't <laughs> understand the, the value. Of, I, I felt like I had cultural capital Right. And a knowledge that, that they didn't. And, um, and I, I don't know, that was something that like, I feel like no one can really take away from me from that experience, even though I understand the, the, the criticism now, five years sure. from now, and like understanding um, the concerns around it. Yeah, you know, I felt, I felt, the, I, I, I'm sorry, Norman, go ahead. No, you go, go. I felt the exact same way, Aureen, and it's interesting and it's really ironic because when we think about theater, it's almost like there are two types of theater. It's almost like a class divide in theater where the upper class theater where you go to the Kennedy Center or the Orpheum mm -hmm. or Broadway, there's this high class theater which, let's say, minorities have no connection to whatsoever. And then you have, you know, let's say the sort of community theater or the, the theater within the community. 
which is just as valuable and has a strong connection to a lot of us, uh, a lot of stuff that Bimblestiff is doing along with the other uh, theater groups. And it's very rare to have that connection to that sort of high stakes theater. I mean, I think it's a gift that Lin-Manuel Miranda has brought to the theater community, uh, not only with Hamilton, but within the Heights. And I think there's, I think about Rent, you know, there's, there's definitely a seismic shift in the musical um, community. You know, we saw it with Stephen Sondheim in the 60s and Andrew Lloyd Webber in the 70s, where there's music which is coming closer to, you know, um, this is the new generation uh, right. music. You know, when the I listen to Hamilton, yeah, like, you know, the 10 Dual Commandments, I immediately knew that was a reference to the 10 Crack Commandments by the Notorious B.I.G. And I was like, wow, does anyone else get that reference? And I was like, wow, right. that is just awesome. Go ahead. What were you saying, Norman? Oh, no, just um, Irene's story made me think about that. Uh, the famous clip of Vice President Pence. Pence, that's right. President-elect, Vice President-elect Pence going to see it and being offended and people being offended. And that just puts that audience more in context for me. It's like, oh, it's not just him. It's a whole lot of people like him who went to see the hot show and were sitting there scratching their heads. What mm -hmm. is this? Yeah. Yeah, welcome to the new generation. You know, this generation, the millennials. And I think, Aureen, I think you are a millennial. Um, this is, you know, this, this, uh, the, the millennials have a voice. And Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, this is the voice of the new generation. And yep. the older generation can either embrace it or get pushed out of the way. Yep. Um, I, I, don't, I don't see an issue with the, uh, the cultural or, you know, the cancel culture. I mean, we all know that all of the founding fathers had slaves and, even Lincoln himself, you know, uh, wasn't, didn't really think that the black man was, or the black you know, community was uh, equal uh, mm -hmm. to the white community. But, you know, he did what he did. And uh, we still have um, the, the, um, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and this wonderful um, democracy that we have here in America. It's not mm -hmm. perfect, but right. we have a say-so in it. You know, um, so that's the gift that they give to us. So any case. Yeah, what's that phrase? There's a phrase to um, to create or something, a more perfect union. Yeah. I love, and somebody, I saw that quoted this week, and I was like, yes, that's what we're aiming at, which means we can make it better, more perfect. Exactly. It's a work Let's in progress. It the way it is, we can improve it. Yeah, it's always a work in progress. Um, before I get into um, an origin story, uh, Ari, and this is something that I ask everyone, how optimistic are you about 2020 and mm. the uh, election? You know, do you think, um, do you have any- One more years. Do you, do you, yeah. Do you have a hot take on uh, Trump <laughs> and, and how you've survived and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, um, I, I just saw an article yesterday about there's this, one, um, I guess, one type of prediction for the for the for the election, and it was ninety one percent that Trump could win, and that that I was just like scared that if he would win, right. I, I think it'll be devastating um, to say the least. But right. I'll, I mean, I'll, really I'll work be out in the street. Yeah, I, I'll do my best to make sure I you know get everybody yeah. that I know to vote in my students. Yeah. I've seen the opposite. I've seen a lot of um, predicting uh, uh, polls saying that yeah. Biden will win. But, you know, the, you know, they said that Hillary will win in 2016. Right. Uh, were you shocked, Aureen, when, um, when, when uh, Trump won in 2016? 
I think I cried. <laughs> I think I was so flabbergasted. At that time, I couldn't vote. Um, so I didn't have that, um, that right yet. But uh, this year, I can. I plan on exercising my right. Um, yeah, but I was extremely, extremely devastated at that time. Yeah, yeah. And shocked because I just felt like everybody, you know, I was in that, that, that uh, Facebook all everybody around me seemed like they were in support and then right results were the opposite yeah yeah but i i definitely have hope and uh, every every news i mean i'm i'm reading articles that trump is just you know just flipping out over every little thing whether it be the supreme court ruling that says that you know he has to he doesn't have to give up his tax record information right here but it's sort of kicking it down the curve you know um the the courts have said hey you know that we do have a right to see his tax records. Is that right. it's also his uh, niece who wrote a very scathing right. book uh, telling all the details of what's happening with uh, Donald Trump and all that stuff. Yeah. So I'm more optimistic, but um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Right. And with that, let's talk about Aureen Almario, the um, artistic director for Bendelstiff. And let's talk about Bendelstiff. So these are some clips and I want you, Aureen, to see if you can recognize some of uh, these individuals okay. uh, who have talked you. about Bendelstiff. You don't have to close your eyes. <laughs> yeah, I can't see them. You go back on stage and then you get to be dramatic. Um, and, and so I felt like Stories High is definitely uh, the epitome of, of what it means to be, you know, culturally Filipino and Filipino American. And the space itself is just, I think it's the only, um, it's the only theater space in America that's dedicated to Filipino American art. That's correct. Yep. Okay. Can you recognize her? I don't know her last name. Is it Karina? Nope. No. Uh, Is it Tony Lynn? No. No. Okay. I know that one. <laughs> it is uh, Mallory Samara. Oh. Uh, and we had her along with her uh, mother, our, um, Erlina. Oh, yes. Okay, yes, yes. They were talking about the history, yeah. One. Okay, yeah, here's, here's another so one. When I, was, when I was introduced to Spindlestiff, I was in, um, I was attending SF State, and I had joined PACE, which is like the Filipino-American community endeavor, I think that was the name of the group. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those people were part of Bindlestiff too, so I would just go to shows. And the comedy thing um, seemed really fun because there's, uh, oh man, what was his name? Kevin? Kevin Tamiya, there you go. Mm -hmm. yeah, he was teaching some free comedy workshops, and I'm like, oh, sure, give it a whirl. Uh -huh. And he just made it so approachable and fun, like, I, I felt like at the time it was a great form of therapy. Like, now my therapy is like karaoke when I'm feeling stressed and stuff like that. Okay, so um, does that sound familiar? Oh man, <laughs> I hard. This is harder than I thought. <laughs> oh man, she, she, she was a she. Uh, she deals. She's more of a makeup artist than an actual actress. Oh, okay, yes, thank you, Alexis. No. <sighs> oh. <laughs> Terry Alabada. Oh, Terry. Yeah. Oh, yes. Who recently came back from, I believe, New Zealand. And uh, wow. she's back. And uh, wow. so there you go. Okay, here's another one. Um, Melvin Crystal. Melvin Crystal. All these guys that have now, uh, have now come down the line. Mm -hmm. You know, and even uh, Nicole out in uh, Mashali out in, um, mm -hmm. in New York now. Just for reference, we're talking about all of the individuals who have come, 
who started in Bendleston mm -hmm. and now doing great, bigger and greater and better things. Mm -hmm. yeah, oh, wow. All, all yeah, who's in LA. It's all, 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 all of this, all these guys that, 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 that come out, mm -hmm. me and Alan had the vision, because Alan was an artistic director at the time, our vision for Bindlestiff Studio was to learn. Yeah, Norman knows. To learn. I, I don't remember uh, his name. I remember the interview. Tent from the rest of the theater community mm -hmm. and then bring it back to Bindlestiff Studio. I mean, here I was a Filipino not really knowing what Bindlestiff Studio was. Right. But once I knew it, I said, this is the way to make us stronger. Right. Okay. What do you think, Aureen? Oh, tip of my tongue. Um, would this be Renee Acosta? No. He is, uh, I don't know how, because I think he left pretty early, but uh, this is Percy, Percy Asaba. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I do know first. He does this to me too, and I'm like, I, I don't know half these people. <laughs> Let's try a couple more. When I first started with Bindlestiff, I was actually up in the tech booth. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, it was a new group of folks. They were very uh, eccentric, you know, mm -hmm. to say the least. But, mm -hmm. you know, I've never seen a bunch of, uh, of Filipinos really doing, you know, art that, you know, that. I have never seen before, you know, oh. and so it, and, and, and it was, um, it was refreshing to see, um, um, stories and, and see stories about folks that look like me. Right. You know, what do you think? Melvin. Melvin. Yes. You knew that immediately. Yay! <laughs> I'll yeah, it gave me a community and has since always done it. Like Minstrel Stiff, that's the a community. Right. The community that I was able to build through that. Whereas, yeah, I've got a lot of friends from Minstrel Stiff, and mm -hmm. um, for me, it, it gave me this this community of people that I could count on being there. British, mm -hmm. you, you recognize him? He, he's obviously not Filipino, but he is a, a British individual who talked very much talk very much about uh, how he found a community that he could not find in England, uh, oh. a theater community. Is it Ben? Ben Couch. Yeah. <laughs> when I came back um, in the um, fall of 96, I was, um, it was uh, literally and figuratively, it felt very cold mm -hmm. in, in the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, uh, the weather was colder, obviously, but just the, um, I was missing that kind of camaraderie that, that, huh. that, group culture in the Philippines, right? And um, yeah. and I, I found this perfect mix of all that at Bindlestiff Studio. Mm -hmm. That's uh, right, Bindlestiff Studio. What about, what about that? Norman, you should know him. Mike Dorado. You, hey, there you go. Who was it? <laughs> Michael Dorado. Dorado, yes. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to play one last one. Here we go. Arnett, how did you get involved in Bindlestiff? Uh, Bindlestiff has, has been a company I've known about since I was a kid um, because they've been around for so long and yeah. um, you know it was something my brother when he realized I was getting into theater was like well when you come back to the bay get involved with these folks mm -hmm. you know so um, yeah uh, so I I got involved because I had you know I had friends that were like Conrad Panganiban mm -hmm. who was involved at the time when I moved back to the bay so through him I got re-involved you know I got involved with Bindle Stiff and then from there just you know you, you become yeah so what do you think Crystal. Crystal, exactly. Yeah. So there you go. There are a bunch of folks. I think uh, I had 10 clips. I didn't play all of them, but so many individuals, writers, uh, directors, young actors who are trying to fill up their resume, 
um, everyone has talked about how wonderful uh, Bindlestick has been for them. Um, how did you, um, this would be a good sort of, or we'll get into an origin story, but how did you get involved with uh, Bindlestick? Um, I, I was an audience member at first, like I would watch their show. I heard about, I, I um, grew up in the East Bay in Hayward and um, I just, I, I was kind of like searching for something too. And uh, somehow online, I found one of the artists. He was actually a spoken word artist. But um, my first show ever at Binlestiff in 2003 was actually a poetry show because they do, you know, other forms. Right performance and so it was a poetry show my friend was in it and then I just started watching a lot of their productions and I really felt seen for the first time in terms of like entertainment or performances it was it was very powerful being able to be an audience member at that time because um, it was the original space um, and just I just felt like I was in the middle of something really great and I wanted to be part of it so it wasn't until 2004 Actually, the first vinyl stiff was demolished, uh, the space. And then right. 2004, when we had a temporary space in the alley in Natoma, that's where I got involved. I did Stories High. And after that, I, I got asked by uh, my ultimate like mentor and you know someone that I admired, Lorna Velasco, to play in, um, to act in, in um, these three, this trilogy play, and by all, all works by um, Bienvenido Santos, he's a Filipino American writer, and they, they adapted it into stage. And so that was sort of the first step into getting more roles. And I kept getting asked to participate and be part of collectives and troops and, and, and start collectives as well. And so, um, so from that point on, I just didn't stop doing things at Minnesota. I actually don't have any formal theater training. I never took a class huh? at SF State. <laughs> yeah, that's really surprising. I mean, because uh, you're, I I'd like to learn more about just your family because, uh, you know, as you were growing up, I mean, your, your mother is still involved in theater, right? Isn't she an actress? Yeah, right now she's doing a lot more film. Um, like our last project together was a film project and... Um, yeah. Yeah. So what, what was it like growing up uh, in, when they, in a theater or arts family? I mean, uh, so I know about Andrea, mm -hmm. um, but do you have any other siblings? Are you I, from the Bay Area? Yeah. I, I, uh, but immigrant, like we, I immigrated here when I was 10. Okay. From the Philippines, but we settled in Hayward, California. Ah. And then I have, there's five of us siblings all together. And it wasn't, it, it's interesting because it, my mom did theater in the Philippines when she was a little girl all the way up to college and she actually, or up to high school, she actually received a full ride scholarship to go to um, college to do theater and mm -hmm. she declined because wow. her parents wanted her to, to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. and so my mom ended up, and, and the, the college that she had a full ride scholarship was sort of in the the provincial area of the Philippines versus going to like Manila, the big city, right. study to be a doctor. So she and her, her parents wanted her to, to pursue medicine. Um, and so that's what kind of stopped her from pursuing theater. She had kids and then, you know, immigrated here. So it wasn't until she was, I 
feel like 50s or 60s that she started doing theater again. Wow, that, that's amazing. Yeah. So you didn't, you didn't do any like, did you do shows when you were a kid, like in uh, um, preschool or um, elementary school, that sort of stuff? No, and I was very shy. I was, I was like horribly shy kid. I, I would, I'd never even thought of myself as like somebody that would perform. It wasn't, I, I always thought of myself as like a visual artist, like I do photography or, or paint uh, and draw. That was my art expression. And my mom definitely like harnessed that, like she nurtured that in me. But it wasn't until like I was in college that my mom, my mom started taking theater classes in, in the community college. And then I found Vinylstiff simultaneously and I just heard my sister Andrea and my mom are both taking theater classes. And I was, me and Andrea were also taking theater workshops at Binostiff, but um, I wrote a play in Stories High and we needed a mom character. And my mom was the first person that, you know, I thought of, I'm like, well, it's kind of loosely based on you. So. Um, which, like, which, story, which Stories High was that? It was in 2004. Okay. And it was my first time being on stage ever in my life. And it was amazing because my sister was in it too, in the, sh in the, in the show, and also my mom. Oh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what theater in general, or I guess arts in general, means to you? Because, you know, you, you, know, you say that you're shy, and you could have easily just gone into another genre. Uh, mm -hmm. But theater sort of spoke to you. What, what does theater uh, mean to you? Um, I think the reason why theater spoke to me so much, I always knew since I was like two years old or three years old, I knew I wanted to be an artist. I just knew that that was something I wanted to do, but it, it, it was visual arts. Like I said, like I wanted to draw and paint. Um, and the way I learned about art was actually through my mom, who at the time it was like, we were in the Philippines and it was the Philippine... Uh, the people power with Marcos. He was, you know, the dictator at the time. It was coincided with like her teaching me about social justice, sort of. Wow. Not, yeah. not like very, she, she was teaching me how to draw while also telling me stories about what's going on around me, which was like literally like a revolution. Yeah. You know? well, yeah for folks who don't know, I mean, uh, I think it was around the late eighties, Ferdinand Marcos had assassinated Ninoy Aquino and uh, his wife, um, Corazon Aquino, took over, and that was the people power to sort of take uh, power back from this uh, dictatorial regime. Right, and I was born around that time. I was born in 81, um, and so um, it was like the 80s where that was where it kind of peaked for Marcos's regime and ended in 86 because people revolted. Um, and so my awakening and my, my my idea of art was always um, connected to how I saw the world and, and society. And so it was never like separated for me. I always wanted to like reflect the world the way I saw it and like my own commentary through my art. I just didn't have, I didn't have the tools. I didn't have art. I, 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 when I also came to the US, I was undocumented. And so mm -hmm. I didn't really have a, I didn't feel like I could afford art school. Mm -hmm. And so I, that's, what, that's what ended up 
with me going into um, childcare and being a preschool teacher because my mom opened a business um, and I was able, able to like work. Yeah, I, I wanted to pause. I was doing the math real quick. Are you saying you're 39 or 38 years old? I just turned 39. God, you are just- You're not supposed to ask that. <laughs> no, I, hey, she had volunteered it. I mean, my goodness, you don't look a day over 24, but hey, that, that, that is just awesome. Yeah, um, you, don't, you can't see my white hair. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, and I think that, you know, the arts sort of makes makes you young. There's something that Norman and I talk about all the time. I think there's just something about the arts that, you know, that that revives us, that mm -hmm. you know, keeps us young. Um, but as far as teaching, I mean, uh, one one incredible thing about you, Aureen, is that you have, I mean, from being someone who is shy and who really didn't see themselves in a theater community, you are, especially as a woman, you're at a position where a lot of women will envy. I mean, you are the artistic director of a theater company and a very vibrant theater company. In mm -hmm. its 30th year, I mean, there are a lot of theater companies that are folding, that are, um, that are having a hard time. There's Off-Broadway West that folded uh, earlier this year. There's right. the Darkroom Theater that's not around anymore. But uh, Bindlestiff is, is doing really, really well, and they're in good hands. What was your transition into, how did, how did you ascend to being the, uh, the artistic director of Bindlestiff? Yeah, well, at the time, our Lorna Velasco was the artistic director. She um, had to move to Seattle because her, her husband's job took him to Seattle. Um, and so she wasn't even a year yet into her position and she is already you know, about to move. And, and she was kind of like looking around her, like who's going to be the next artistic director. And then she kind of planted the seed in my brain. I'm like, oh, I can't do that. You know, I don't want to do it. And then, um, but when she left and then like months would pass and nobody applied for the artistic director position, it's not paid. Um, it's a volunteer position. And like, there's really no incentive other, other than like, you know, get, you get to hold, um, you know, some decision-making um, power but um yeah months passed and there was still no artistic director and then I, I just felt compelled to apply and I and I just um and then I also had support from people who were saying like I can help you like Alan Kismorio was also the former artistic director he was like I can you know there there's ways to do it even if you have a full-time job um and so I just and then I I, I have so much love for Benostiff like everything uh, I didn't get to explain earlier, but like when I was undocumented, it was like performing was a way for me to feel like a human, like because I, I was so limited, like institutionally with the things I could do. But if I could perform and I could act this character, that was a way for me to feel sort of like alive in, in, in a way that I, I, I felt really limited in real life. Um, and that's why I, I just kept coming back. And, and that's kind of why I, I, I stayed and because there's people that will move and go, you know, pursue careers outside of Binostev, right? Um, but for me, it was just like, this is my home, you know, I'm going to just keep doing this. Um, yeah, no, I, and, and people respect you. I mean, you know, when I've worked with, you know, I've done two stories high at Bindlestiff and, you know, people look up to you. And as, as a matter of fact, I think you directed, um, what was it? Uh, it was the piece by, um, oh, shucks. Dan Chewy. Dan, yeah. And, um, you know, you're very good with people, you know, you're very attentive to 
people's emotions and needs and you know and you know how to speak is one thing that I talk about with Norman as far as directing how do you speak in different languages how do you speak you know because you deal with different actors who come from different environments and you have to learn how to to listen and to understand where those people are coming from mm -hmm. um and it takes a skill to do that it takes a skill to listen and i think you're very you have that skill it's sort of an innate skill i don't even think it can be taught and you definitely have that um what difficulties have you had with uh being the artistic director i'm sure it's not all fun mm -hmm. yeah i think one of the biggest things I realized was that once you become the artistic director, you uh, like you you kind of change the dynamic a little bit with the people you interact with. Whereas when you're an actor, like you're you're hanging out with the actors, you you just kind of play around. But once you're like in that director position, people kind of look at you um, as an authority figure. <laughs> and I, I, that was one thing I had to adjust to because I, I was just like, no, I'm I'm still gonna play around, but um you know i could still party but uh but it was just it, it, that that kind of shifted for me because i was also used to being an actor i was used to be part of ensembles and things like that and so i work hard to like try not to um be be too much as like a authority you know yeah yeah, yeah. i think it's one of the funniest things about directing um it you get this idea that you're kind of in charge, you control, you know, there are those directors who are sort of like the puppet masters, but in a real collaborative process, you're sort of going with the flow. That's really your job is sort of go, okay, we're going this way now. That wasn't what I expected, but I can make this work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here's a question for you, Irene. As a woman, I mean, because as an artistic director, I'm sure, do you have the authority to, because I'm sure there are other theater companies who are like, hey, we want to rent out Bimblestiff and we want to do this play, or we want mm -hmm. Bimblestiff to sponsor, or I'm a playwright, here's a play. Do you, are you the one to have the authority to say, yes, we're going to do this, or yes, this is our schedule, or this is our season? Do yeah. you make those decisions? Um, it's actually, uh, me and the managing director because he manages the he typically tends to manage the ones that are like just one day events or mm -hmm. they just need a rental for <clears throat> whatever reason but for month-long like rentals that's usually something that that we both decide on together um, but for the business of in-house production like the story ties and things like that I usually um, really like the ones that I have control over is really just stories high in the main stage yeah well like granny card gangsters you mean that's yeah. that's another thing that you guys yeah. do right it is yeah so um, I'm one of the founders of granny card um, and we're a sketch comedy group um, uh, all women sketch comedy group and the reason why we're we we I founded they actually just became extremely more, um, I feel like our, our collective has gotten more um, tight and just more um, clear in our vision uh, within probably the last three years. Um, and just taking a stronger point of view and, and, and perspective in how we tell like comedy. Um, but we were all part of Vinyl Stuff. We're all like have done stand up and have done sketch comedy and we just, Kind of looked around. We're like, you know what? There's things that are funny to us that are could 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 only be um, framed in that way. Where it's like a women 
um, collective, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I, we had a couple of uh, women who, um, like Barbara Michelson Harder, who was a co-owner of uh, Off-Broadway West, and also Linda Ayers Frederick, who runs the Phoenix Theater. And when you're a woman uh, sort of in power and sometimes your, your authority is respected, sometimes um, someone may try to take you for granted by saying, oh, well, it's just Aureen, you know, and, uh, and has it been difficult? Is your, authority, is your authority respected? I guess that's the best way of putting it. I mean, is, uh, it, is it difficult uh, being a woman and uh, being looked upon as a boss or uh, as someone who has the final say-so? Have you had to say no? I've had to say no, but only because of like logistical reasons, you know, um, but um, there are also been also this complicated because it, we have like almost like the whole year will, will already be, we're, will already be scheduled before, you know, because there's like certain troops that come back and they want to do the show. So it'll take like, oh, all of February will be love edition. Stories High will be, you know, so it's almost already, um, um, scheduled and then there we will only have like maybe four months that that are actually we can we can either rent out or do a completely different show outside of our um i guess our staple shows yeah, yeah. um ha have you had to learn have you had to um you know when you took on the mantle have you had to sort of relearn or sort of learn um business skills or a skill that you didn't didn't necessarily have to yeah. be a better artistic director. Yeah, administrative type of stuff, arts administration type of skills, um, fundraising. <laughs> so that's something that I had to learn too, just to ask for money and not. And and where I'm also learning, like, oh, Bindle stuff is has a value, and we have to know our worth. And so, right. for example, for the 30th anniversary, you know, we we were fundraising and. Um, when, when my, um, when my professor, she found out that, or my former professor, she was like, you guys only asked for this much. You could have asked for more for your, at your gala, you know? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I think it was a hundred dollars, a hundred dollars a ticket, right? Was it? I, I think was it was. That, I think, go ahead. Yeah. I think it, 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 it kept rising the longer you waited for your, to buy it. Good. <laughs> yeah. And I hear it was sold out. Yeah. It's Yay! sold out. Yeah. It was yeah. A, very successful event um but the gala like you know 30 years like it was huge there's so many people from all the different history of Bindlestiff. that's wonderful i mean you know Bindlestiff, you don't have the problems that a lot of other theater companies have i mean there are a lot of theater companies who have to undersell tickets just to get an audience in uh ask their friends to you know buy tickets or whatever but Bindlestiff doesn't really have that i mean you know you have a built-in audience a dedicated audience, a community that really believes in you. And um, so I, I see Bindlestiff as being very, very strong. I mean, that's what I see from the outside. Mm -hmm. um, would you agree or? Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, that doesn't mean that we can't, we don't, you know, there's some such shows that haven't sold out or, you know, we still have to do our part in marketing a show. Right. And, um, but the, what's interesting is that there's people that have never gone to like a Broadway show or any theater, but they've get, gone to multiple Bindle Stiff shows, uh -huh. you know, and that's their, their, their theater. Right. Um, and we also do like youth and seniors are free. 
So we we want to um, make it so we're accessible to sure. the, the community, the local neighborhood that we're in, that we're free for folks that live in Soma. And so um, so that that that's that's amazing because we have a youth that grow up like, oh yeah, I went to this Democrat show and that. Yeah, that's cool. Norman, I want to bring you in. Uh, how, what, what was your first involvement with Bindlestiff? I think I've only been to Bindlestiff as a, as a um, audience member. I mean, I remember, I remember the old clubhouse and going to see stuff there. I remember before I was even aware of Bindlestiff, there was a TNT and going and seeing some of their stuff and just being amazed that, you know, there was this community um, which you know, everybody just sort of, it's, it's in its own little ghetto, basically. But when you go and you see that the work is as dynamic as any, and it references things that maybe the average American isn't aware of, you start going, wow, this is exciting. I mean, like we were talking earlier about, you know, the way historical fiction works, finding that mechanism. It's great. And even with the, uh, the reading that we're working on, Maddie May, where there's a lot that is the writer has to kind of create that world, give voice to those characters more beyond what the history is. What I think is great is when you create a story that is so engaging that I walk out going, I got to know more about that. Like, um, what's his name? Rizal. Um, mm. I want to know more. That's right. That wonderful piece that starred Jed Presario. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I walked out going, wait a minute. Who is this? What did he do? And that's exciting because the piece itself was just so engaging. So I was loving watching this piece of theater, but then I walked out wanting more. Yeah. I think it's an incredible experience. Yeah, and also to piggyback on that, Jet Presario, that was his first role ever, and he did such an incredible job. Right. It's one of the great things about Bendelstead, you know, you can be a young artist, you have something inside of you, but you don't have a resume. And of course, other companies are like, well, you know, we'll maybe we'll look, take a look at you or whatever. All of a sudden, you have a platform where you can show off your right. skills. And you can market yourself to, you know, Crystal Piamonte Zhang is equity now. Um, there's so many, Kat Avasco is now doing comedy in LA. Right. So there are a lot of folks who have propelled themselves from Bindlestiff to do other things. And so it's, um, it's a wonderful thing that uh, Bindlestiff has, where you can come in as a young artist, unknown, but emerge as someone who now other people can say, wow, I saw something incredible from that interview. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it gives you the experience, too, just doing theater. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I want to ask you about, uh, we've touched on women's issues with, for, with other people who have been on the A. Have you had to deal, either as a director or as an actress, um, I don't know, the casting couch, or let's say uh, some bad experiences? I doubt that that would happen in Bendelstiff, but let's say other areas. Have you, have you had Bendelstiff's not free, free of it. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean... Um, can you elaborate if uh, on the casting couch? Well, I mean, so, I mean, just, um, people being they, inappropriate, people being inappropriate, let's say in the rehearsal area or a director asking you to do something that is completely inappropriate. Uh, Crystal Piamonte Jung shared a story. It didn't, it did not happen in Bittleson. It happened elsewhere where a actor had kissed her and she wasn't ready and they hadn't even talked about it. And she was rather appalled. She was like, Hey, I wasn't ready for this. Mm -hmm. um, and the director sort of like, well, you know, whatever. Um, have you had to go through anything like that at all? I think as an actress, yes. Um, I've had to, uh, 
and, and, and mind you, a lot of my experiences with Benosif, so some, this one in particular was not in Benosif, it was a film project. Um, but I was already cast in something and then the, the, it was the first day of shooting and then the, um, the, the art, not the, the, what do you call it? The cinematographer? Cinematographer, yeah. Asking me to if I could wear my underwear in the in the in the shoot, and I was just not I was like not prepared, you know. Right. And, um, yeah, I was just like, uh, okay. Um, but other than that, I don't think I've I don't think I have a lot of experience with auditioning um, in other theaters, and I've I have auditioned for other comedy spaces, and that that's pretty interesting because you know what's funny to somebody is always gonna say something about. Um, there, there's a lot of cultural context that comes with that because I was actually doing a stand-up set with my uh, in a very like talking about my Filipino experience and and they right. just didn't get it you know so but then somebody from the from the who was who was there would you know hit me up afterwards and was like oh I thought you were actually really really funny um, I don't know why they're not casting you but yeah mm -hmm. That, that's cool. Well, uh, so as a director, I mean, because uh, when you had directed us for <clears throat> Gotta Love These Immigrants, you, you had an interesting directing style. You know, you really did believe in uh, relaxation. You believed in uh, some of the things that I learned at NYU, you know, since uh, connecting with the other actors, communion, um, making sure that there's a bond. Uh, whereas a lot of other directors are like, hey, look, you guys just handle that all by yourselves. I'm just concerned about the blocking and you know your lines and all the technical stuff. Mm -hmm. But your style is more holistic. Can you talk a little bit about um, your style as a director? Yeah, I think um, a, a lot of the things I apply in, in directing is the things I've learned. So I have to like give credit to like Lorna Velasco um, for a lot of things I've um, I use in my in my directing because as an actress learning from her, I just kind of took what worked and I I um I put it into my my directing. I especially for because you know God Love Them Immigrants had like seven actors. Um, I I like to do ensemble building a lot with those kind of with with huge big cast and even even if it's a small cast, but like the chemistry. I feel that you build before even even going into the script um, is, is equally important than blocking and, and um, you know character analysis because it's you're working with this group of people and you need to make sure the chemistry is 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 there and usually the camaraderie is organic in theater right but you have to build that up and you have to take the time to like really um harness that yeah no that makes a lot of sense no this is a question i hadn't asked you i mean because you've dealt with directing a, a small group of folks and a large group of folks um how hard is it to direct a massive amount of folks and just what Al, um, andrea was taught i'm sorry Aureen was talking about um do you worry about just the camaraderie among a group a large group of people i i don't uh the biggest thing, the biggest difference is, <clears throat> you know, you look at this precious story that you want to tell, that you want to share with an audience. If the configuration is such that there are a lot of people, 
then the story needs that. There's some way that the story is being told with that as a context. So I focus on that more and on the group dynamic. And at that point, what I'm doing is trusting a lot in my casting. I'm trusting that I can just say, well, you've got this scene with this one other actor. I'm just going to throw you guys a couple of notes. And if I can find a way to peel you off and have you actually look at it or, or deal with it, make the adjustment, I'm going to try and I'm always going to try and take care of the group. And then if there's something where I need to put some specific time in on the smaller elements, I'm happy to have that, that luxury, but that's what it feels like to me. And a lot of it is for me, I've worked a lot with teaching. So I'm in a class setting. I can't just focus on the two character scene or the four character scene. I've got a whole group of kids that I need to do something with. So while I'm focusing on this scene, I better be doing it in a way that relates the play to the larger picture, that larger image, so that everybody else stays engaged. And it's great to me because you'll have that, there's that one guy, that one character that needs to come in after this intimate moment, and the energy of everything is going to pick up, right? If it goes back into a group dynamic, usually the energy is picking up from that quiet little moment where two people connect. Inevitably, you've got some young actor who is out to lunch because that's not my scene. I'll just wait until my scene. And it's like, no, no, no. You need to be like that relay runner. You need to be on your game, pacing what's going on so that as soon as they finish, you start in. You take, you take control. And so I always love having that moment. I know I'm going to put somebody on the spot. I know it before we even have the rehearsal. And when they do it and they pick it up, then I'm going to stop and say, whoa, I just want everybody to notice. That's what I'm looking for. Make that happen. But more often than not, it's the opposite. More often than not, it's a, okay, so when we get to these quiet little moments, you all can't check out. You have to stay involved. So let's back this up. Are you ready now? You're sure you're ready? And that person at that point is so embarrassed. They are on their game. <laughs> and then we move forward and everybody gets the message. This is a whole story that's being told. You cannot let it... Those little moments, Romeo and Juliet is the example I always use. Those sweet little moments between Romeo and Juliet without that larger context just become sappy and dumb. Mm -hmm. But when you create a dynamic, a group, a world, which is what the playwright wants, when you create that dynamic and have that working, now you can afford that little quiet moment with those two people. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. So I'll share two quick. Um, so I've had, uh, there was one production that I was involved in. It was Othello. And there were a large group of people. There were some millennials. And then you had some older folks who were like um, um, my dad's generation. I'm trying to, boomers. And the director really had not paid attention to the, the dynamic of the actors. And so during the rehearsal, during, you know, let's say if people were off stage, people sort of huddled up in their own little nicks or their little cliques or their little areas. Yeah. And it read on stage. I could, you could read that the, there was not the bond that you needed to have with the actors. And also another uh, story, when we did Civil War Christmas, working with Don Monique Williams, who's now at the Aurora, she would build these little communities within other communities. So we had, it dealt with the Civil War, so it dealt with race relations, and you had white slave owners, and you had uh, President Lincoln or whatever, and then you had um, black soldiers. And so she would build these little minuets, like she would have three actors do one thing, and then a couple of other actors do another thing, like these little mini communities, which would build an environment. And all of a sudden, the one actor who has a line is now 
you know, interacting and reacting to the environment. And it really created something really wonderful. Um, so, you know, that's just my experience. But I'm always fascinated with how directors sort of create that because I've never directed in my life. So I, I wouldn't even know how to create that, that life on stage. Yeah, and I think when I directed you for God of Love the Immigrants, I, I was taking a workshop with Marissa Katubig, and she was really, oh. yeah, that was really helpful, that, that particular workshop. We were, um, we delved into many aspects of, the, of directing that I never really thought about, you know, lighting and all that stuff, because as an actor, I don't really, you know, I just show up. <laughs> right. I don't think about all the work directors do. Yeah. Do you want to do more directing, or are you happy with what you're doing? Yeah, I do. Uh, a lot of the times when we do the main stages, I'm the one directing it. And it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, I wasn't ready for it. That was one thing. But I, I felt like I uh, I wasn't ready for what it, the workload, but I was prepared. Cool. Here's a question for you. And I know we're running into, you know, we're about to close it up in, in a quick second. And it's something I ask all directors. How do you deal with, excuse me, difficult actors, actors who are not on the same page? Um, you know, you want it in a perfect world, the actors take your direction and they, you know, they do exactly what you want. But there's some actors who are on their own, you know, they're, on, they're in their own universe. And it's like, wait a minute, I didn't ask you to, to do that. Uh, how, do you, how do you deal with the actors like that? Have you had to deal with that, Aureen? Um, I've, not difficult personality, but just like maybe they're not getting the direction. So I've had to try multiple times as much as I can within the group setting to get them there. Uh, but I, what I started doing the last, um, production I did was I did one-on-one -on -one with, um, that particular actor. <laughs> um, it wasn't that they were difficult or, or personality wise. It was just that they weren't, it wasn't clicking what I wanted them to do. And so I had to sit down and just like, let's, let's, let's just break down this character. Let's maybe we're not on the same page with how I envision the character versus mm -hmm. how you're playing it, or maybe there's a disconnect somewhere. So I had to do a one-on-one -on -one with this. Yeah. Thing. And it worked. And eventually, oh, good. Oh, good, good, good. Because I, you know. Until like showtime, you know, it like was yeah. really late in the rehearsal. And I was just like, oh, but she got there. Sometimes you don't know until showtime. And then it's like, oh, you know, I'm sure director's like, oh, I hope the person gets it. And then all of a sudden you see magic. Um, sometimes it doesn't happen, but you know. Yeah, one-on-one -on -one helps for me sometimes when um, taking them out of the group setting and then giving them that direction. So that, because they also, for me, when it's an ensemble, when there's a lot of people and they hear the direction you're giving to that one particular actor, then they right. kind of like think of it. I'm like, well, you didn't do it that way. But if I pull them out and be like, can you try it this way? And just whisper it to them. And they go back and try it and they surprise their, the, the rest of the group. The I, like, part, like, yeah. I like doing that. Cool. One last question for you. Where do you see yourself in the future? Where do you see yourself, I don't know, five or 10 years from now? Oh man, that is a crazy question. I actually want to, um, my dream actually would be to eventually direct something in a bigger um, stage, you know, outside uh -huh. of the but I also want to tour really bad. I want to take people from Benalcif and show um, the world what we're made of. Because I've toured before, but not under Benalcif. And I saw how powerful it was for me as a, as a performer. And I want that same experience for the people in the theater and just 
having the resources to, to be able to do that and showcase the things we do would be uh, a dream. Awesome. I think we're going to, I think that may be in this, in this COVID era, um, as we look for some way forward, I, I think that may be one of the ways forward is to be able to take a troop and find an, you know, an appropriate venue where everybody feels safe and you've got appropriate distancing, but you can come in and show them rather than trying to squeeze people into the traditional theater space. Yeah, I totally agree. And also, you know, um, people know Bindlestift the space and, you know, it's, it's been great for the Philippine American community, but it's also beneficial to have people outside of the Philippine community see this wonderful right. work. One of the interesting things about the George Floyd, um, you know, um, protesting that's been going on is that there's been an explosion of Zoom readings of Black uh, theater and Black content. Like, you know, I, I, you know I'm, I've done two August Wilson pieces and had turned down a third. And uh, you can tell outside of the community, people are like, hey, I, I, you know, I want to know about other cultures. And so it can apply the same thing to the Philippine community or the Latino community. So I can mm -hmm. see how Bendelstiff can come to, let's say, the traveling Jewish theater building, or let's say, um, oh, I don't know, uh, Town Hall Theater or the DMT, the Douglas Morrison Theater, and say, hey, listen, we're bringing Philippine community theater to you. Mm -hmm. uh, I could see it working. I could see it totally working. Any case, um, shout outs, birthdays. Oh. Birthdays. So I don't normally like to talk about what's already happened, but um, there was, ooh, that's, where is it? But there is a birthday that I would like to make sure I acknowledge, and that's Ronnie Washington. He's a professor at San Francisco State. He was one of my professors when I was in the theater department there, and his birthday was yesterday. He's a fantastic actor. He's a director. He teaches directing. Um, so Ronnie's birthday was yesterday. Uh, Jennifer King, who has been a powerful force in North Bay Theater for a long time. And then going on the other end of the spectrum, Diane Lauren Jones, her birthday is coming up this week. Yay, we had her on, yeah. We had her on, and she's in King Lear, which I will say more about when we get there. Is that the female um, King Lear? The, uh, there is. It's um, uh, Jessica Powell is playing. Nice. Diane is playing um, Cordelia, the youngest sister. Lear's youngest daughter, um, and she's playing the fool. Should cool. be a really neat show to see. Um, a woman I worked with many years ago, Annette Noble, and we just reconnected, I think, through Facebook. Um, singer, actress, and we did Dream Girls together, and she played that, you know, the signature role in that, which is just, you know, the Jennifer Hudson, Jennifer Holiday role. Yeah, um, and I'm telling you, when I'm not going, yeah. Oh my yeah. God, you know, that is, that is a, an incredibly difficult song. Um, and she did it and just struggled with it. There were nights when it was magic and there were nights where she came off with her tail between her legs. And I remember watching that experience and, you know, and everybody was very supportive. We really were supportive of her. A year or two later, I was in the same experience. I was having trouble with the role and just struggling. And everybody was so supportive. And I was like, oh, that's what she felt. Yeah, I had to go through that with Candide. Yeah. A high, a high B flat. Go ahead. Um, Amy Resnick, um, Bay Area actress who is amazing. Um, one of those people who... I remember auditioning with her once and walking out thinking, wow, that woman's into me and realizing, no, that woman is a really good actress. <laughs> <laughs> she made the moment work. She got the job. 
Um, Arwen Anderson's birthday is coming up. Arwen um, and I did 43 plays for 43 presidents. And we did it just as Obama was coming in. So we talked about Obama was coming in. We'll see what happens. Um, Arwen Anderson, I said, Vicky Roselle is somebody, people talk about the Bay Area scene being small. I meet people who have been doing theater like Vicky for decades. And our paths have never crossed, but she was immediately like, I know you, you're Norman G. I was like, okay. Um, and she was stage managing some stuff at uh, Stagebridge. So that was how we connected her birthdays this week. Um, I'm going to leave you a couple. Um, Jaxie Boyd, interesting conversation recently about um, diversity and casting and how people have trouble thinking. And somebody literally quoted that there were only three actresses that they could think of in the Bay Area. One of them they mentioned was Jaxie Boyd. Her birthday's coming up this week. Jaxie has been in L.A. for, I think, a decade or more. And I'm like, how dare you, as a casting person in the Bay Area, say, you one, you don't even know any black actresses, and two, one of them that you named, one of the three that you named, is not even, even live here. In doesn't in live Bay. Here. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Joanna Martin is a Bay Area director. Alicia Ehrlich is a Bay Area actress. Michael J. Wong is an actor, and for a while he was doing comedy. I'm not sure what he's doing these days. Uh, Mario Gonzalez is somebody that I worked with a lot um, in Each One Reach One. So we used to hang out together and we'd be at a bar or something and somebody would say, well, how did you guys meet? Because he's a little bit younger than me. And we'd look at each other and go, uh, Juvie, right? We, we met in Juvie, <laughs> which was literally true. But mm -hmm. we used to do theater there, <clears throat> you know, bringing playwriting to the, uh, the young men mostly. Uh, Steve Savage, Bay Area photographer who has focused on theater for decades. And now if you look him up on Facebook, you will see he posts these beautiful photos of just nature in his neighborhood over in the hate. And the last one I have is Natasha Young. Natasha was a Bay Area actress, is down, down in New York, and she actually has a, I should find the, uh, the link for it. She has a thing that where she does her own little shout out for the work that African-American performers are doing. Those are my birthdays for the week. Cool. And I'll be real quick. Uh, Shannon Malden, uh, we had her on. Her birthday was on Tuesday the 11th. She and yeah. I shared the stage at, um, at the Town Hall Theater doing Civil War Christmas. Uh, she was my rose and I got to sing a love song to her. Uh, um, Michael Dorado, we just thought, talked about him. His birthday was July the 8th, three days ago. Um, an incredible actor, and he will be in Ang Espia, which is a, a Zoom reading that we'll be doing um, sponsored by Bindleslip Studios, a play writ, read by, uh, written by me. Um, and it's great to have Mike, and Mike's daughter uh, will be uh, in the show as well. So that'll be cool. Oh. So happy birthday to Mike. Uh, Is you that the show you're doing? Is that the one you're doing on the 25th? Uh, yes. So at, at 5... Let me see. Let me. I know. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so, like, wow, yeah. you got a busy day. I know. I do. I'm a very busy day. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But uh, yes, so Michael Dorado and um, his birthday was three days ago. Happy birthday, Michael. Uh, Diane Lauren Jones, her birthday was will be Monday. Um, also, Deborah Cortez. Um, yeah, that was one I left you. Exactly. Her birthday will be on Tuesday. A great Latina actress, and she graced the stage it was generation theater um it was a um oh shucks shakespeare play um 
Maybe it was Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but in any case, um, you see, yeah, so she's doing excellent work and she's been around. So she's, she's getting around and she's an excellent, um, excellent actress. Also, Anna Yoham, she and I uh, shared the stage. Uh, it was um, Candide and uh, her birthday will be Tuesday. Kimberly Ridgway. Uh, yep, we can't that was say the enough. other one I loved you. Yeah, I know. Kimberly Ridgway. We can't say enough about her. Incredible actress, writer, uh, director. And her birthday will be on Wednesday. Also on Wednesday, Dan Wilson. And Dan Wilson, he and I were on at Civil War Christmas. He was John Wilkes Booth. And uh, he, I think he runs a theater company as well in the Bay Area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in any case, uh, happy birthday to him. I think I may have one more. Marissa Wanless. I don't know if you left that for me. Ah, uh, her birthday will be Saturday. You had brought her on the yay. I, I, I'm trying to remember. Was she the? I think she was involved in um, the musical cafe. She was a. Um, um, I don't know. She, um, she, uh, she, she had uh, the musical. She was from Nashville, Tennessee, I think. Oh, you know that's Amber Rubarth. Oh, okay. I'm getting yeah. Mar- but you no, brought uh, in Marissa. Um, was the artistic director for. Um, <clears throat> Utopia Theater. Utopia. And now she and her husband and their new baby mm-hmm. are in Vermont, I want to say, Connecticut, New Hampshire, somewhere up there, somewhere in New England. And they've got wow. a big spread. And they say they're going to take their barn and renovate it and turn it into a performance space so wow. they can do summer, spring and summer stuff. So, yeah, we'll see. Cool. All righty. So um, there are a couple of shows going on. Um, yep. You want me to go first? Go for it. Well, of course, uh, you and I, we're going to have a rehearsal for Maddie May. That'll be a play written by Jeannie Baroga. Uh, I don't know the company that's sponsoring it. I mean, who is, uh, who's doing the Zoom reading? I think we're just, uh, well, right now our sponsor is Technically Cats, uh, the contemporary Asian theater scene. Nice. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, but it's a, um, it's a fundraiser for Katatagan. I hope I said that right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a book that Jeannie is working on about uh, the West Coast uh, Philippine uh, Americans uh, theater artists. Yeah, yeah, it's something. It's something that Mallory had talked about when she was on our podcast. Right, she's been working on it. Yes. Yeah. No. So it's fantastic, and the play is just wonderful, and uh, we invite everyone to come and see it. There's so many people that we are, have that are involved in it. So yeah, you know, Kimberly. Now, Kimberly, we couldn't get. But Mallory is involved. Reg is involved. Mm-hmm. It's going to be incredible. Yeah, and that'll be Wednesday, I believe, the 22nd. I don't have my calendar yeah. in front of me. The 22nd. Wednesday and, the uh, 22nd, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about it at rehearsal, but I think we're going to go- aim for a 5.30 performance because we've got an East Coast actress. <laughs> and, you know, mm-hmm. I'd like to not keep her up till midnight trying to do our reading. So Yeah. And two other plugs. Uh, I mentioned uh, the play that I've uh, written. Ang Aspia, which is Philippine for the spy. And this is a adaptation of Bertrand Brecht's uh, Fear and Misery in the Third Reich. He wrote a play called The Informer. And this is a adaptation. It deals with a Philippine family dealing with um, immigration issues. So we think that the immigration issue and the zero tolerance policy of Trump and uh, being an undocumented immigrant, it's not just a Latino issue. It deals with all sorts of immigrants who come into the United States. And already right. we talked about this. And I'm so thankful that Bindlestiff will be sponsoring that. And that will be on Saturday, the 25th of July. Right. 
Well, and Radio Golf, which will be before that. Exactly. And that's the other thing. Radio Golf will be a Zoom reading of the Austin Wilson play presented. Uh, is it the company, the Charlottesville Theater Company? Is that yes. Yeah. And so that will be at 5 p.m. PST. Is that right? 5 p.m.? Yes. Yeah. 5 yeah. PM Our time, 5 p.m. Their time, 8 o'clock. Exactly. Yes. So, so see me at Radio Golf at 5 p.m. on Saturday. And then three hours later, you'll see my play Angus Pia, hopefully. Yay, man. You know. Aureen, did you want to promote anything that Bindlestiff has going on? Um, well, just the, the Angus Pia is what's coming up. And then we're doing a, um, another show on August 1st that will be a benefit for, or it's sort of like an awareness for health, health uh, healthcare. All right. Well, yeah, send me the link to that and uh, we'll let folks know because we'll have at least three yay episodes prior, you know, before that comes on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we'll definitely promote that. Aurene, I hope you had a, a good time. Did you have a well, good I've time? I've got yet? one other show that's coming uh, up. Yes. Uh, King Lear, uh, the San Francisco Shakespeare Festival normally does their free Shakespeare in the park and now it's free Shakespeare at home, they're calling it. And that'll start next weekend, uh, Saturdays and Sundays, uh, at seven o'clock, no, Saturdays at seven o'clock, Sundays and Labor Day, the Monday of Labor Day um, at 4 p.m. They're going to be running all summer like they would normally do, but they'll be doing this uh, live on YouTube. So um, it's going to be an interesting experiment. Yeah. Now, for those who want to see all of these um, readings and all that sort of stuff, you can check out Angus Pia. I'll have a link to the Bendelstiff website so you can uh, click onto the link. For the others, you can uh, let me know uh, via either uh, YouTube or via our, um, our Facebook um, you know, chat. You can just send a comments. Because a lot of these readings are limited because, you know, especially the August Wilson piece, um, you know, when you have published pieces, you, you have to have a limited audience. And I won't get into the details of that. But if you want to see it, uh, let me know in the links and we'll send you a, a Zoom link. All right, did you have a good time? Yes, I did. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, thank you for, you know, it's been a while, but, you know, it's, it's wonderful to finally have you and to talk to you and to, to sing your praises and also Bendelstiff's praises. I think you're doing a magnificent job at Bendelstiff. And so you deserve praise for that. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, um, everyone, you're already watching the Yay. We finally have a YouTube channel. At first, I had been posting this on my personal YouTube channel. Uh -huh. Now we have a dedicated Yay YouTube channel. So please subscribe. Wow, cool. Link and subscribe to that um, for the videos. Uh, and for the audio, we always have the podcast, strictly the audio, on our um, any app that you listen to your podcast. If you're a Android user, you can go on the soundcloud.com website or just click on or just download the SoundCloud app and you can find us. Uh, we're on Spotify, uh, the Apple Podcast app, really any app that you listen to your podcasts. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm at Reg Space Clay. And I'm at Who's Your Hoosier. Aureen, how can people uh, get contact you if they, if they want to reach out to you? Yes, um, Aureen at BenelstiffStudio.org. Okay, you don't do the Twitter or Instagram uh, or anything like yeah, that? Only Insta uh, Instagram and Facebook. Um, for Instagram, at Aureen and an A, Arena. Cool. All right, well, we'll send a link to that. And as we always say, 
We got to find a better, better sign off. <laughs> and we are out. Thanks for watching, folks.